We uncover one chapter after another from the life of the Prophet in an attempt to learn about him, love him, and better ourselves through his example. Immersion, mentorship, companionship, and tarbiyah. These are just a few of the things we offer alongside knowledge of the prophetic biography at Sira Intensive. Two weeks dedicated to the study of the life of the Prophet and his noble characteristics. So this winter, join me in Dallas, Texas, alongside your classmates from all over the world to learn the story of the life of the best of humanity, the mercy to mankind, the Prophet Muhammad Go to sirahintensive.com to register and for more information. Umm Salama radiallahu ta'ala anha says that she presented to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam the side part of an animal that had been cooked and um, the Prophet وسلم, he ate from it and then he stood up to pray and he did not make wudu. This is of course only being brought here for the particular reason that there is a narration um, that talks about how the Prophet ﷺ ordered or he rather suggested that a person should make wudu after they eat something that has been cooked over the fire. Uh, and so making wudu after you eat something that's been cooked over a flame or a fire. And so the understanding of that is one of two things. Either the scholars mentioned that that was the earlier command for the Prophet ﷺ to just overall, because he noticed amongst the Arabs that there wasn't really a culture in place in terms of washing up after they had eaten food, but they would just kind of get up and go about their business. And so the Prophet ﷺ to instill good etiquette within the Sahaba, he initially suggested or commanded that they should make a full wudu after they were done eating food. Um, and then later on this was abrogated, mansukh, that when the Prophet ﷺ saw that now the Sahaba, the Muslims generally have some good hygiene and etiquette in this regard, then he no longer mandated it, he no longer necessitated it. And then the other, under, the other understanding of it is, is based off of a hadith where the Prophet ﷺ, after eating something that was cooked over the flame or a fire, the Prophet ﷺ rinsed out his mouth, kind of washed his mouth and washed his hands. And he, and he commented by saying, This is what I meant when I said, do will do after you eat something cooked over a fire, that just wash up. So from the very beginning, he never suggested that someone should do what ritualistically, what we call the wudu, the act of ibadah, but Rather, he just meant wash up after you're done. <clears throat> the next hadith, uh, hadith number 15, Qutayba, ibn an Suleiman ibn Ziyadin, an Abdullah ibn al-Harith, qala akalna masjidi. This particular hadith, Abdullah ibn Harith radiallahu ta'ala anhu says, that we ate with the Messenger of Allah sallallahu some roasted meat, in the masjid. And so again, this particular narration is brought here to demonstrate the fact that it is permissible to eat food within the masjid. That by no means comments on if a particular masjid or a facility has a policy of no food within the prayer hall, um, especially if they do have other parts of the facility where you can eat food. But that could be a policy that's instituted, especially keeping in mind that the floor that they used to have was dirt or something like that, that was easily, you know, you just 
basically put more dirt and it's clean. Um, in a situation like this where we have carpets and things like that, there could be problematic. And so it, it, it's not denying the fact that you can't have a policy, but even if there's a policy in place or there's not a policy in place, there's no religious significance to eating or not eating food within the masjid itself, and it has no religious or spiritual bearings, right? It's not like other types of things where the Prophet ﷺ might have prohibited and don't do that in the masjid or don't do this in the masjid, but eating food in the masjid is not considered some disrespect to the masjid itself. <clears throat> the next hadith, hadith number 16, قال حدثنا محمود بن غيلان قال حدثنا وكيع قال حدثنا مسعر عن أبي صخرة جامع بن شداد or Shaddad, عن المغيرة بن عبد الله عن المغيرة بن شعبة قال ضفت مع رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم ذات ليلة فأتي بجنب مشوي ثم أخذ شفرة فجعل يحز فحز لي بها منه قال فجاء بلال يؤذنه بالصلاة فألقى الشفرة فقال ما, ما له تربت يداه قال وكان شاربه قد وفى فقال له أقصه لك على سواك أو قصه على سواك In this particular narration um, Mughira bin Shu'ba radiallahu ta'ala anhu says <clears throat> that I was a guest with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam uh, one night that we were both guests together we were both being hosted together um, and so he says and this was in the house of Duba'a bint Zubair uh, anha. And so they were both saying they're as guests. And he says that uh, it, the Prophet ﷺ was presented with again the side of an animal that had been roasted. <clears throat> so the Prophet ﷺ picked up the knife or the utensil and he began cutting some meat from the big piece that had been roasted. And he cut me a piece of the meat. Uh, Bilal ﷺ came calling the adhan for salah, making the call for prayer. So the Prophet ﷺ put down the knife immediately and he said, what's, what's wrong with him? Taribat yadahu, um, that why is he calling it so early, so to speak? Literally, taribat yadahu means may his hands be dirty, um, but it's a way of saying that why is he doing this? Then the uh, Mughira bin Shu'ba says that the mustache of Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu had kind of grown very big. So the Prophet ﷺ said that let me trim your mustache for you by placing a siwak and then whatever is left underneath there, then I'll trim that off or you should do it, you should trim your mustache in that manner. So now this particular narration is commenting on the fact that the Prophet ﷺ, you know, would play the host. Even when the Prophet ﷺ was the guest, he's cutting the meat and he's serving it to everyone else around him. That was the type of humility the Prophet ﷺ had. There's a very simple basic understanding and we need to understand this. We all do understand this. Anytime the Prophet ﷺ was in a room with some other people, he was automatically by default the most important person in the room. He was the most dignified person in the room. Having said that, the Prophet ﷺ had such a remarkable humility about himself that the Prophet ﷺ would be the host. He would make sure everyone else had eaten before he would eat. And that was just the character and the graciousness of the Prophet ﷺ. And so when Bilal calls the adhan, the second thing that we notice here is that the Prophet ﷺ immediately puts down the knife. Why? Because when the adhan is called, when it's time for salah, then everything else needs to be stopped. Right? And immediately you need to turn to the prayer. And then the Prophet ﷺ, when he says, Malahu, what's wrong with him? Why is he calling it so early? 
That's not to say that Bilal radiallahu ta'ala was calling the adhan before the prayer. But typically in that scenario, what Bilal radiallahu ta'ala used to do was before he would call the adhan, he would always come and check on the Prophet He would almost check with the Prophet before he called the adhan to make sure the Prophet was not preoccupied with something or was not handling something else. And so this particular time, not out of disobedience, right? But just due to now there being somewhat of a schedule and there being a bit of a habit, Bilal radiallahu ta'ala called the adhan without necessarily checking with the Prophet And that's what the Prophet was a little perturbed by. Because if Bilal radiallahu ta'ala would have checked with him, and some of the narrations also mentioned that this was the time of Dhuhr. And there was a little, you know, the time of Dhuhr usually has a little bit more of a window. Um, in the winter time right now, it's a little bit smaller and shorter, but in the summertime particularly, has a huge window. And the Prophet about Dhuhr time, in the summertime, he says that, Abridu bi Dhuhr that go ahead and pray Dhuhr a little bit later, maybe just about 45 minutes, an hour after the time comes in. That was the sunnah of the Prophet And so the Prophet in this particular scenario was saying that if Bilal would have come and checked with me, I would have told him, don't call the adhan yet, it's not the appropriate time yet. At the same time, we have some fresh food in front of us, so let's go ahead and eat this first. This is the blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And also the Prophet would have sat Bilal down to eat something with him as well, knowing that Bilal is very difficult for him to come by food. Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu says that that The Prophet said 30 days consecutive, 30 consecutive days and nights passed, and myself and Bilal between the two of us did not have anything to eat except for a little bit of food that Bilal used to hide in his clothes. He would take a few dates that were given to the Prophet at some point during the day, and the Prophet would just give things away to everyone. Anyone that would come and ask for something, he would just give them away. So he knew that if the Prophet saw these dates, he would give them away to somebody out of his generosity. So sometimes Bilal for the sake of the Prophet would take a few dates and he would stash them. And the Prophet we lived, says that we lived, we survived for an entire month in this manner and fashion. Right? So the Prophet knowing the situation of Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu, kind of wished that Bilal radiallahu anhu would have came and checked in first. But nevertheless, that didn't change the fact that as soon as now the adhan has been called, the Prophet said, we have to at once go to the prayer immediately. And then he also kind of comments saying that Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu's mustache had grown longer. And it's from the sunnah of not just the Prophet but all the anbiya, the asharatu min sunanil anbiya. And one of them is i'fa'u'l-luha, to have a beard, and qasu shawarib, and to keep the mustache trimmed and small. So the Prophet instructed Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu to trim his mustache. And in the first verbiage where he says, here, let me trim it for you. Again, it shows the Prophet was very compassionate. Very merciful. He was a teacher. He was like a father figure to many of the Sahaba. And he never felt it beneath himself, below himself, or troublesome, or cumbersome to look after somebody and to help somebody out. The next narration, uh, hadith number 17 of this chapter, قال حدثنا واصل بن عبد الأعلى قال حدثنا محمد بن الفضيل عن أبي حيان التيمي عن أبي زرعة عن أبي هريرة رضي الله تعالى عنه قال أتي النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم بلحم فرفع إليه الذراع وكان تعجبه فنهس منها 
Uh, Abu Huraira radiallahu ta'ala anhu says the Prophet sallallahu was presented with some meat that had been cooked. So the dhira', the shoulder part of the meat, the Prophet it was presented to him, it was picked up and handed to him. And so the Prophet very much, تُعْجِبُهُ He used to like it very, very much. This has been added by the narrator, Darawi. And he says, فَنَهَسَ minha. So the Prophet began to eat it with his teeth. Like how we pick up something and you eat from it directly, holding it in your hands. The Prophet ﷺ began to eat from it that way. And so again, Imam Tirmidhi brings this narration to demonstrate that eating in that manner, in that fashion is also permissible. The Prophet ﷺ would even do it. That basically it goes back to whatever type of food you're eating, um, that if it's a type of food that is best eaten by picking it up to your mouth and eating it from it, right, using your teeth to uh, take from it, then that's what should be done in that situation. قال حدثنا محمد بن بشار قال حدثنا أبو داود عن زهير عن ابن محمد عن أبي إسحاق عن سعد بن عياض عن ابن مسعود رضي الله تعالى عنه قال كان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يعجبه الذراع يعجبه الذراع قال وسم في الذراع وكان يرى أن اليهود سموه Ibn Mas'ud, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu relates that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi used to love the uh, meat that was from the shoulder of the animal and it was that same portion of the animal that had been poisoned and it was understood or it was suspected that it was the Jews that had poisoned it or poisoned it or poisoned him. Um, so... First and foremost, again, it's just demonstrating the fact that the Prophet ﷺ used to enjoy meat and he used to have a fondness for meat as well, that the Prophet ﷺ would eat all types of food. Now when it makes a comment about that's what had been poisoned and given to the Prophet ﷺ, that's talking about a particular incident when the Prophet ﷺ went for the Battle of Khaybar, that at that time he was invited to uh, for food by someone there. The name of the woman that had invited the Prophet ﷺ um, her name was Zainab bintul Harith. Zainab bintul Harith. She was a Jewish woman. Uh, she had invited the Prophet ﷺ for food, and the Prophet ﷺ was one to always respond to an invitation. So he went there. The meat had been poisoned. As some narrations say he didn't eat it. Some narrations say that he took a bite from it. Um, and when he took a bite from it, Jibreel ﷺ came to the Prophet ﷺ and informed him that this has been poisoned. Do not eat it. Um, and so the Prophet ﷺ stopped eating at that time. There was another Sahabi with the Prophet ﷺ who did eat a little bit more, and he ended up passing away due to the poisoning. Um, when this woman, this particular woman, um, she actually would accept Islam later on, and she would come to the Prophet ﷺ and she would admit that yes, the meat had been poisoned. And I was told by my people to poison it once they found out that I had invited you. And he asked her, why would you do that? And she said at that time that, ma hamalaki ala dhalik, why would you do that? And she said at that time, in kana nabiyan la yadurruhu sammu wa illa istarahna minhu. That she said that the logic at that time was that, okay, if he's a prophet, then it will not harm him. And if he's not a prophet, and therefore it ends up killing him, Right then, we no longer have to deal with him, 
right? That uh, in another narration, she says that if he's not a prophet, then it'll kill him. And if he is a prophet, then God will protect him. And that's exactly what happened. Jibreel salam came and told you that it was poisoned. And so it didn't end up killing you. And that's how I knew that you were a prophet. The Prophet salam, he necessarily wasn't severely poisoned, but the Prophet salam did comment on his deathbed that he could still feel the effects of um, having eaten that meat and the effect that it had on his health, that it had weakened him from that point on forward. The next narration, قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا مُحَمَّدُ بْنُ بَشَّارِ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا مُسْلِمُ بْنُ إِبْرَاهِيمِ عَنَ بَادْنِ بْنِ يَزِيدِ عَنْ قَتَادَ عَنْ شَهْرِ بْنِ حَوْشَبِ عَنَ بِعُبَيْدَ قَالَ تُبِخَتْ لِلنَّبِيِّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ قِدْرًا وَكَانَ يُعْجِبُهُ الذِّرَاعُ فَنَاوَلْتُهُ الذِّرَاعَ ثُمَّ قَالَ نَاوِلْنِي الذِّرَاعَ فَنَاوَلْتُهُ ثُمَّ قَالَ نَاوِلْنِي الذِّرَاعَ فَقُلْتُ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ وَكَمْ لِلشَّاتِ مِنْ ذِرَاعٍ فَقَالَ وَالَّذِي نَفْسِي بِيَدِهِ لو سكت لنا ولتني الذراع ما دعوت سبحان الله ابو عبيده رضي الله تعالى عنه says that i cooked um, some food for the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam tabakhtu i read it as tubikhat it should say tabakhtu so tabakhtu li nabi sallam qidran i cooked some food for the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he used to love that again that meat from the shoulder part of the animal so I found it within the food, within the pot, and I gave it to him. And then after he was done eating it, he said that, give me the, that portion of the food again. So I again found it, and I gave it to him. And he ate it. And then he said, give me the shoulder part of the animal. And I said, O Messenger of Allah, and he's talking about the front, right? The front quarters. And I said, O Messenger of Allah, how many front legs do you think a goat has? Right? I gave you two. So how many front legs do you think a goat has? The Prophet ﷺ said, I swear to Allah that if you would have been quiet and you would have just kept giving it to me, you would have kept on finding more and more front legs of the animal within the pot as many times as I would have asked you. Miraculously, you had to ruin it. <laughs> So the lesson from this narration is don't be that guy, all right? <laughs> Sometimes you say alhamdulillah and just keep on eating. All right. <clears throat> Hadith number 20. قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا أَلْحَسَنُ بْنُ مُحَمَّدَ الزَّعْفَرَانِ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا يَحْيَى إِبْنُ عَبَّادٍ عَنْ فُلَيْحِ بْنِ سُلَيْمَانِ قَالَ حَدَّثَنِي رَجُلٌ مِّنْ بَنِي عَبَّادِ يُقَالُ لَهُ عَبْدُ الْوَهَابِ بْنُ يَحْيَى بْنِ عَبَّادِ عَنْ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ بْنِ الزُّبَيْرِ عَنْ عَائِشَةَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى عَنْهُمْ أَجْمَعِينَ أَنَّ النَّبِيَّ قَالَتْ أن عائشة رضي الله تعالى عنها قالت ما كانت الذراع أحب اللحم إلى رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم ولكنه كان لا يجد اللحم إلا غبا وكان يعجل يعجل إليها لأنها أعجلها نضجا عائشة رضي الله تعالى عنها she says that the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم She says that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, the, the front quarters of the goat or the sheep of the animal um, was not the most beloved type of meat to the Prophet وسلم, but rather he would not get to eat meat except very rarely and occasionally. And he used to want to eat it first because it is the, it is the quickest in terms of 
um, becoming tender. It, it tenderizes the, quick, the quickest. And so this particular narration shows us something that while we have been talking about the Prophet ﷺ eating meat, and very, you know, very quickly it starts to seem like this is a chapter about the virtues and the fadail of meat uh, and meat eating, right? It starts to seem like that. Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha shows us exactly the context. She says that, it, first of all, meat was not the most beloved type of food to the Prophet ﷺ. And within meat, something like the front quarters were not like the most beloved type of the meat to the Prophet ﷺ either. The Prophet ﷺ would eat whatever was put in front of him. It was just simply the issue that the Prophet ﷺ didn't used to eat meat very frequently. He, it was not available to him. He used to eat it extremely rarely. And the word that she uses is the word ghibban. Ghibban. Now the word ghibban loosely translates to rarely, occasionally. There are some further um, specifications in terms of how rarely or how, you know, occasionally does something need to occur. Because the Arabic language is a very specific language. You have the word ahyanan. Right, and you have the word adatan, ahyanan, right, and then you have the word ghibban, right, and so what, how frequently or how rarely should something occur in order to use the word ghibban? So there's different things that some of the different lexicons mentioned. Some say once a week, some say once every couple of weeks if something happens, then you use the word ghibban. So this demonstrates the fact that the Prophet ﷺ didn't used to eat meat except for maybe once a week, once every few weeks. Right? And primarily because of the simplicity of the Prophet. ﷺ. Secondly, because of it being something that was, you know, was a little bit more costly. Obviously, you were sacrificing, you were killing an animal, and that's not something that they had the luxury of. And the Prophet ﷺ didn't like those types of expenditures made on himself. Even when he would receive food and he would receive gifts, the Prophet ﷺ much more preferred to just give it to other people and share it with other people. So he very rarely ate meat. But when it was presented to him, then the Prophet ﷺ used to like to eat this, and this shows us another particular habit the Prophet ﷺ had, that the reason why he would ask, are there any of the front quarters within the meat itself? Because um, he says, It basically becomes very tender, it cooks the quickest. Right? And so the Prophet ﷺ didn't want to eat something that was raw, and therefore it could be unhealthy or even nasty. But the Prophet ﷺ wanted to eat something that had been cooked thoroughly and properly. Alright? And didn't want to get ill and sick because of it. Again, we talked about it. That how the Prophet ﷺ ate food as a need and a necessity. You have work to do, you have somewhere to go, you have some things to do. So you eat quickly and you go about your way. Right? So the Prophet ﷺ wasn't very exotic and experimental with his food. He said, give me a few dates and call it a day. And if you did cook some food and bring it, then make sure it was cooked properly. And that's it. Just put a little bit in front of me and the Prophet ﷺ would eat it. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ used to ask. So Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha knew the Prophet ﷺ very well. She said he would only ask for that because it was cooked properly. That's the only reason for that. So speaking about this, um, since we were kind of commenting on these different narrations, and you know, Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha creates a lot of context for us when she says the Prophet ﷺ only ate it occasionally. There's a lot of different discussion about it. Imam Ghazali rahimahullah ta'ala for this very reason talks about how eating excessive or uh, huge amounts of meat is something that is not good for the shahwa, the desires and the lusts of a person. Right? That it's, it's something that increases that desire within that person and it shouldn't be eaten excessively. 
Um, on one hand, Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu, again, and these people consumed these things in moderation. Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu was known as a Zahid. He was a Zahid, Azhad, right? He was very extremely ascetic. He didn't indulge in worldly things at all. And so Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he used to recommend eating of meat. He used to say, Anna lahma yusfi al-badan, it's good for your body, it strengthens your body, wa yuhsinul khuluq. And it gives you good character, like you're in a good meat, a good meat. You're in a good mood after you eat meat. All right. So vegetarians are in a bad mood apparently. Um, and then, but at the same time, he said, "Woman tarakahu arba'ine yoman sa'akhulukahu." He said that somebody who doesn't eat meat for forty days will have bad character and bad akhlaq. Right. So, but Ibn Qayyim rahimullah taala he also says, "Yambaghi adamul mudawala ala akmil akli lahmi, fainahu yurithul amrad." Uh, Ibn Qayyim rahimullahu ta'ala, because now think about the time duration, the time lapse between Ali radiallahu ta'ala and Ibn Qayyim. Right? So Ali radiallahu ta'ala is living at a time where people, you know, at the most eat meat once a week, once every few weeks. And that, at that situation, he's saying, well, when it's presented to you, eat it. It's good for you. Right? But Ibn Qayyim rahimullahu ta'ala, a few hundred years later, five, six hundred years later, is now dealing with the circumstance where people are so excessively eating meat that he's saying that this is not good, don't so excessively eat meat because it actually increases disease and it's not good for your health and your body. And one of the other aslaf, he said, لا تجعلوا بطونكم مقابل للحيوان That don't turn your stomach into a graveyard of animals. Um, and that very much is the culture that we live in right now. That breakfast there's meat, lunch there's meat, and dinner there's meat. Um, and we obviously see the effects of it on not just our bodies, but even in terms of our spirituality. That we, it just increases that lust and that desire that we have. The next narration, قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا مَحْمُودُ بْنُ غَيْلَانَ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا أَبُوْ أَحْمَدْ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا مِسْعَرْ قَالَ سَمِعْتُ شَيْخًا مِنْ فَهْمٍ قَالَ سَمِعْتُ عَبْدَ اللَّهِ بْنِ جَعْفَرْ يَقُولْ سَمِعْتُ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ قَالْ إِنِّي أَطْيَبَ اللَّحْمِ لَحْمُ الظَّهْرِ That the Prophet of Allah وسلم, said, Abdullah bin Ja'far radiallahu ta'ala anhu says, that the Prophet وسلم, said, or I heard the Messenger of Allah وسلم, saying, that the best of the meat is the meat that's from the back of the animal. And again, the reason for that was that the Prophet وسلم, preferred it, again, because it would cook very easily and properly. And so the Prophet وسلم, preferred that as to not sit there and roast meat for hours and hours and hours and waste time on something like something simple like food. The next narration, قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا سُفْيَانُ بْنُ وَكِيعٍ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا زَيْدُ بْنُ الْحُبَابِ عَنَ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ بْنِ الْمُؤَمَّلِ عَنْ أَبِي مُلَيْكَ عَنْ عَائِشَةَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ تَعَلَى عَنْهَا أَنَّ النَّبِيَّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمَ قَالْ نِعْمَ الْإِدَامُ وَالْخَلْ Again, Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, she says that the Prophet said that vinegar is the best condiment or the best item to eat your food with. It's simple, it's ready to go, and just it's easy to handle. Hadith number 23 of the chapter, قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا أَبُوْ كُرَيْبْ مُحَمَّدُ بْنُ الْعَلَى قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا أَبُوْ بَكْرُ بْنُ عَيَّاشْ عَنْ ثَابِتَ أَبِي حَمْزَ الثُّمَالِ عَنْ الشَّعْبِ عَنْ أُمْهَانِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ تَلَا عَنْهَا قَالَتْ دَخَلَ عَلَيَّ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ فَقَالْ عِنْدَكِ شَيْءٌ فَقُلْتُ لَا إِلَّا خُبْزٌ يَابِسٌ وَخَلٌ فَقَالَ هَاتِي مَا مَا أَفْقَرَ مَا أَقْفَرَ Excuse me. مَا أَقْفَرَ بَيْتٌ مِنْ أُدْمٍ فِيهِ خَلٌ أمهاني رضي الله تعالى عنه 
Umuhani radiallahu ta'ala anha, excuse me, the cousin of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, she says that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam came to visit me and he said, do you have anything to eat? I said, no, I don't, except for some dry old bread and some vinegar. The Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he told her that bring it, and then he says, ma aqfara baytun that that home is not empty from food that has vinegar in it. That home is not empty. This word aqfar in the Arabic language is very specifically used um, in a very specific context. It's not a very commonly used verb, so it's not like fully conjugated and used widely in the language, but the Arabs and Shi'at and stuff, they would only use it to refer to a home. It was exclusively used uh, for when referring to a home. Afqarat daru. Aqfaratid daru, excuse me. daru, The home is empty, meaning that there's nothing to eat in the home. So the Prophet said, that that home is never empty from food that has vinegar in it. The next narration, Abu Musa al-Ash'ari radiallahu ta'ala anhu says that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu said that the virtue of Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha over women in meaning over all other women is like the virtue of the food called tharid kind of like a porridge over all other different types of food tharid specifically so there's a few issues here first of all what is tharid referring to so the prophet ﷺ, again due to simplicity and also making the most of a little bit of food the prophet ﷺ used to prefer that if it was just a little bit of you know something that was cooked some meat or some type of you know curry or gravy or something was cooked and there was a little bit of coarse bread the prophet ﷺ preferred to break it up into small pieces put it inside of whatever the gravy was and let it, the bread kind of soak into it and then be able to eat it from there it was clean it was quick it was easy and it would also be more filling in that way you wouldn't notice the scarcity of the bread um, and so the Prophet ﷺ used to prefer this and it would also make it easier than to share that food as well because you weren't looking at a small piece of bread you mixed it in and now it would seem like what was a bowl of food so the Prophet ﷺ used to prefer this. So the Prophet ﷺ is now commenting on, so he said this is the best type of food. Why is it the best type of food? Again, because it's making the most of a little bit of food. It's good for sharing as well. Um, and you're able to take dry bread, which is not very good in and of itself, and you try to break it and eat it, and it's not very, um, you know, it's not very edible. And then, you, then you're left with just maybe some curry or gravy, and then you don't know how to eat that either, right? And so you're kind of, stuck with two things you don't want to eat. And you put it together and you make the most of food. So the Prophet ﷺ said, it's the food of simple people. This is the food of, you know, masakin. Um, and so the Prophet ﷺ said, this is the best of food. Right? It suffices everyone. And so now the, the third issue is that the Prophet ﷺ commenting on the virtue of Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha says her superiority over all other women or her virtue amongst women is like the virtue of this food amongst all different types of food. And of course, why is he commenting on the virtue of Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha? That doesn't really need any explanation. It just needs an introduction to who Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha is, uh, who she was and what she means to our tradition what she means to us and our deen and how we've received our deen. 
Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha was a beloved wife of the Prophet sallallahu One of the most beloved people to him. Publicly he was asked one time, Manahabun nasi ilayk, who do you love the most? And the Prophet sallallahu said, Aisha. Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha is someone who studied and observed and learned every aspect of the book of Allah and the life of the Prophet sallallahu and transmitted on to us. Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha in the life of the Prophet sallallahu wrote the entire Qur'an by her hand. She had her own mushaf. And not only that, but then she had commentary. She had tafsir of the written that she had picked up from the Prophet sallallahu She had foot, side notes and footnotes and comments, tafsir that she had taken down as well. So Aisha radiallahu ta'ala not only wrote the Qur'an by hand, but she had commentary of the Qur'an that she wrote as well. Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha has narrated thousands of hadith from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi sahaba. She's from amongst the people who have narrated the most hadith from the Prophet And some scholars go as far as saying that not only does Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha have hadith in a historical context, uh, pertaining to the events of history that were happening at that time, in regards to aqidah, in regards to imaniyat, in regards to ibadat, acts of worship, and mu'amalat, and different dealings and interactions with people. She has a hadith narrated from the Prophet in all these different areas, but particularly when it comes to you know issues pertaining to tahara, and to affairs of the home, and family-related issues. Aisha radiallahu ta'ala has such an overwhelming amount of narrations that he, she's transmitted to us that some of the scholars go as far as saying that she is responsible for transmitting half of the deen to us. Radiallahu ta'ala anha. So that's why the Prophet is saying that this is the virtue of Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha. The next narration, hadith number 25 uh, of this chapter, قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا عَلِي بْنُ حُجْرٍ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا إِسْمَعِيلُ بْنُ جَعْفَرٍ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا Abdullah ibn Abdurrahman ibn Ma'mar al-Ansari uh, Abu, Abu Tuwala Annahu sami'a Anas ibn Malik radiallahu ta'ala anhu yaqul Qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallama Fadlu Aisha ala nisa'ika fadli tharidi ala sa'iri ta'ami Similar narration that Anas ibn Malik radiallahu ta'ala anhu this time So now that, keep in mind Abu Musa al-Ashari relates a narration Anas ibn Malik relates a narration Abu Musa al-Ashari is an older man Anas ibn Malik is a younger man That means the Prophet sallallahu was saying this publicly And maybe said this more than once once, that the virtue of Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha over women is like the virtue of this food tharid, kind of that broth or that porridge uh, over all other different types of food. Right? So again, another little extrapolation that they take from this and also that narration I mentioned where the Prophet sallallahu when he's asked publicly in the masjid amongst the sahaba, who is the most beloved of the people to you? And he said, Aisha, that it shows that this is not against any type of uh, modesty nor is it against any type of dignity or honor of a man to be able to express one's affection for one's family. Right? What is immodest is to now delve into intimate details about one's intimate life. And that's not what the Prophet is doing. He's just simply saying, I love my wife and I respect my wife. Right? And that's something that needs to be said. These are oftentimes you know, words of affection and words of respect. And that when that respect and admiration, you know, a lot of times it's that issue, well, I say it to you, why do I need to ever express it in front of anyone else? Well, because people that you do love and respect, and they love and respect you, they also sometimes want to hear you say it to someone else as well. Right? And especially, especially this is a lesson for leadership. Anyone that finds themselves in this capacity. Right, that anyone that finds himself in a position of leadership where other people 
have great respect and love and admiration for you, um, that a lot of times the people that are close to you, it means the world to them for you to express your love and your affection and admiration for those people that are in your life. Um, in front of the people that have love and respect for you. Right? It, it, it means a lot to them. And the Prophet ﷺ is demonstrating that. Right? All the Sahaba love the Prophet ﷺ so much. So he's expressing the fact that, well, I love Aisha. Radiallahu ta'ala anha. قال حدثنا قتيبة بن سعيد قال حدثنا عبد العزيز بن محمد عن سهيل بن أبي صالح عن أبيه عن أبي هريرة رضي الله تعالى عنه أنه رأى رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم توضأ من أكل ثور أقت ثم رآه أكل من كتف شات ثم صلى ولم يتوضأ أبو هريرة رضي الله تعالى عنه relates that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he saw the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam make wudu after eating, um, you know, maybe a piece of the meat of an animal. Then he also saw the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam eating from the shoulder uh, of the sheep and the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam then prayed and he did not make wudu. So he's saying that once I saw the Prophet ﷺ, he was sitting and eating meat, and he made wudu. Then another time I saw him, he was eating meat, and he got up and he prayed and he didn't make wudu. And again, both times you have to understand the meaning of it. When he's saying, I saw him make wudu, either he could be saying he cleaned up, or more so what he's saying is maybe the Prophet ﷺ needed to actually make wudu. Tahara, before praying. So he made wudu. And the second time around where he says he didn't make wudu, Again, the Prophet might have cleaned up, but he didn't make the whole ritual wudu because he didn't have to make wudu and it was not necessary. The next narration, قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا إِبْنُ أَبِي عُمَرَ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا سُفْيَانُ بْنُ عُيَيْنَا عَنْ وَائِلِ بْنِ دَاوُودِ عَنْ إِبْنِهِ وَهُوَ بَكْرُ بْنُ وَائِلَ عَنْ الزُّهْرِ عَنْ أَنَسِ بْنِ مَالِكِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ تَعَلَى عَنْهُ قَالَ أَوْلَمَا رَسُولُ Anas bin Malik radiallahu ta'ala anhu says that the Messenger of Allah hosted a walima, the marriage feast, the wedding feast. The Prophet hosted a walima when he was married to Safiya radiallahu ta'ala anha. Um, and the Prophet served at the walima, he served dates and sawiq. Sawiq, basically, again, the translation says porridge. What they would basically do is take maybe a little bit of milk and some honey and, you know, um, different things like this. They, they would kind of take a mix of different things, some flour, some uh, maybe sometimes the fat of an animal, milk, honey, dates, and they would cook it all together and kind of mix it up to create like a porridge or something that was sweet. Basically, it was kind of a sweet. Um, and so the Prophet ﷺ just had a little bit of food here and there, the rations of food, right? And so the Prophet ﷺ had put all of that together, cooked it together so there would be enough for everybody, more barakah. Um, and then the Prophet ﷺ served that. And that was a walima of the Prophet ﷺ to Safiya radiallahu ta'ala anha. This is a walima of the Messenger of God ﷺ with the mother of the believers radiallahu ta'ala anha. And again, we obviously know what type of commentary is coming after reading a hadith like that. Um, it's just a little bit of a reflection about the state of, you know, these types of festivities and celebrations in our community today. 
right? Enjoying. The, the Prophet ﷺ sees a Sahabi one time, dressed in a very shabby condition, and he knew that he could afford a little bit better. And the Prophet ﷺ commented, saying that, Allah loves to see the effects of his slave, his abd, upon, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves to see the effects of his blessings upon his abd, his slave. No doubt, we enjoy the blessings of Allah, we celebrate the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but there's also a particular line and a point and a place where maybe we're engaging in some level of extravagance and unnecessary expenditure, right? And this is a very contentious issue in our community. People are very sensitive about this particular topic. They feel that this, is a, this a lot of times turns into an issue of shaming people. It's not the issue of shaming people, um, but... There it has to be some consideration. The Prophet ﷺ says that, two narrations I want you to think about. The Prophet ﷺ says that the most blessed of weddings are the ones that have the least amount of expenditure attached to it. And by the way, that's not commenting on the mahar necessarily. Yes, again, mahar should not be ridiculous. But mahar is a gift. If a man is wealthy enough to give his wife a very good mahar, he should give it. Right? Right? Give them a huge amount of mahar if you can afford it. But that's actually going to someone. Right? That's actually going to someone. But expenditure is all the other stuff on the side, all the fluff. That the most blessed of marriages are those that had the least amount of expenditure going into it. It's a little food for thought. Right? And this is just communal advice. I'm not trying to pit, you know, you know, young people against their parents and you know against their extended families and create culture wars and clashes no 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 my advice to younger people who find themselves in this situation and might be a little bit more conscious of certain aspects of the deen and this is a huge struggle for them when they're getting married and now their parents and their grandparents and their uncles and aunts have a certain amount of expectation of what this occasion should be like if they come and they talk to me my advice to them is always to be very pragmatic to be practical that understand nobody ever, you know, taught anyone the deen by kicking the door down. Right? Nobody ever, you know, imparted the deen, the teachings of the deen. If you think that this is a worthwhile idea and you think that this is what the deen teaches us, nobody ever taught the deen to anybody by having a protest. Right? No. I refuse to get married unless we don't, we do it in this manner. In fact, nobody ever taught anyone the deen like that. Right? No one ever taught somebody the deen by throwing a fit. Right? And throwing a tantrum. Nobody ever taught anyone the deen. So maybe you did learn something of the deen that your family hasn't learned yet. It happens. Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu became Muslim before his father Umar ibn Khattab. The son of Umar became Muslim before Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu did. Right? It happens. Sometimes you learn something before your parents do. So what? But if that emboldens you, to be arrogant and to be rude and to be obnoxious, you know, and throw ayat and a hadith at them to try to, you know, humiliate them. They are your parents. And I commented on this. The Prophet, uh, the Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran says, if someone's parents are forcing them to do shirk, not have a walima in a banquet hall, right? If someone's parents are forcing them to do shirk, Allah said, don't do shirk, but still be respectful to them. Food for thought. Right? Food for thought. Right? So there's no room. There's no allowance for behaving in this manner and fashion. Right? 
And so talk to them, consult with them, but be practical, be pragmatic. Understand this is a long-term project. This is a long-term project. That maybe over time they'll see your point of view. And maybe you will change the culture over time when you have kids. And your kids are getting married. And at that time you will also agree with your kids. Right? About having more simpler occasions and things like that. And you know what a test of sincerity is? One of my teachers told me this. He said, you know, I, he didn't come from a household that was particularly knowledgeable practicing. He was kind of the first one in his family. Right? And so he said, you know, I had all these tussles with my folks and parents. How extravagant, how simple wedding and all of that should be. And he said, you know what the real test of, test of sincerity was? My, my first kid's first birthday. Now that same guy who's stomping around the house, no sunnah. Right? Now he's renting out, you know, six flags to have his first kid's first birthday party. Right? He's got like 300 kids in a Chuck E. Cheese catching all types of infectious diseases. <laughs> Those places are nasty. Right? So I bathe my kids in hand sanitizer afterwards. But, you know, now, now, now he's renting out like a whole facility, right, to have his first kid's first birthday party. You know, I said, brother. Right? What happened now, Mr. Simplicity? Sunnah? I didn't know Chuck E. Cheese was a sunnah. Thank you for teaching me. Right? Then it's a test of sincerity. Right? And one of, my teacher, he was, of course, in an older age at that time. And he was telling me, and he goes, I was faced with that same proposition. And he said, Alhamdulillah, you know, I imparted the deen and taught my, the deen to my children as well. When my kids were getting married... I was the one that kind of wanted to have a nice big baller wedding, you know, kind of throw a big nice wedding. My daughter's getting married. I want to show everybody what's up, right? My baby girl's getting married. I wanted to do it at that time, and then my daughter was kind of like, mm, what now? Sheikh's up, right? <laughs> right? Is that what you teach in Hadith class? Right? And then it was a reminder to me, and I remembered, subhanAllah, what a hard time I gave my folks. So it works both ways. You should be practical, pragmatic. But having said that, my advice just generally to the community is not pitting children against their parents or anything like that. My advice to the community is that if you do want to spend some money and enjoy the blessings of Allah, enjoy the blessings of Allah. Spend them on loved ones. Right? But a lot of these expenditures that we unfortunately have gotten into the habit of and that we've created a culture of, this is useless and it's pointless. And it only gets worse and worse and worse over time. And I hate to go here because it just seem, it seems like nothing like a chain grenade. But there are situations, there are circumstances. In the world that we live in with all the tragedy and all the suffering and all the starvation and all the hunger that is going on in the world today, it is that at some point in time there's got to be some question of some God consciousness. How am I ever going to stand before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and justify a hundred thousand dollar wedding when children die in this world from hunger? Like there's, there's at some point that thought has to cross my mind. My mind. That has to cross my mind. Right? So it's, Awlama Rasulullah sallallahu ala safiyya bitamarin wa sawiq. That was the walima of the most blessed man that ever lived. And our mother, Safiya radiallahu ta'ala anha. Their walima was porridge for the daisies, kid. Literally, literally, that's what it is. Kid. Right? The rice pudding. Can you imagine? Imagine getting married and inviting a bunch of people over and putting a bunch of rice pudding out. 
Bismillah. Do <laughs> you think like it's a joke? Did you even actually get married or not? Or was that nikah a joke too? Right? It's like inconceivable. That was a walima of the, some of the greatest people that ever lived. Right? And the other hadith I was going to tell you, that's something to think about. The Prophet ﷺ said the worst walima is the one where there's no, no room, no place for poor people, fuqara masakin. There's no accommodation for them. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us guidance and tawfiq. Alright, next narration. قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا الْحُسَيْنِ بْنُ مُحَمَّدَ الْبَصْرِ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا الْفُضَيْلِ بْنُ سُلَيْمَانِ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا فَائِدْ مَوْلَى عُبَيْدِ اللَّهِ بْنِ عَلِي بْنِ أَبِي رَافِعَ مَوْلَى رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم قَالَ حَدَّثَنِي عُبَيْدُ اللَّهِ بْنُ عَلِي عَنْ جَدَّتِهِ سَلْمَى أَنَّ الْحَسَنَ بْنَ عَلِي رضي الله تعالى عنه وابن عباس رضي الله عنه وابن جعفر رضي الله تعالى عنه أتوها فقالوا لها إسناعي لنا طعاما مما كان يعجب رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم ويحسن أكله فقالت يا بني لا تشتهيه اليوم قال بلا إس بلا إسناعيه لنا قال فقامت فأخذت شيئا من شعير فطحنته ثم جعلته في قدر وصبت عليه شيئا من زيت ودقت الفلفل والتوابل فقربته إلي فقربته إليهم فقالت هذا مما كان يعجب رسول رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم ويحسن أكله. So Salma رضي الله تعالى عنها she relates that Hassan, the son of Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhumah, the grandson of the Prophet and Abdullah bin Abbas and Abdullah bin Ja'far radiallahu ta'ala anhum ajma'in. All three of them, younger sahaba. Right? Before I actually come, I wanted to point out something in the chain of narration that's very fascinating. Where if you look in the chain of narration, first one is uh, Al-Husayn Muhammad ibn uh, Muhammad al-Basri, then it's Fudayl bin Sulaiman, and then it says, Haddathani Fa'id. And it explains who Fa'id is. Fa'id is the Mawla, the freed slave of Ubaidullah ibn Ali ibn Abi Rafi'ah, Mawla Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So he is the freed slave of Ubaidullah, the son of Ali, who was the son of Abu Rafi'ah, who was also a slave freed by the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So we see that this was kind of how this tradition would start. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam freed Abu Rafi'ah, and he would free people, his son would go on freeing people, and his grandson was continuing to free slaves. Right? So this was part of that Muslim Islamic tradition. Nevertheless, now these three young sahaba, the grandson of the Prophet, Hassan radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Abdullah bin Abbas and Abdullah bin Ja'far radiallahu ta'ala anhu, they all come to Salma radiallahu ta'ala anha, and they say that, cook some food for us please, that the Prophet ﷺ used to like and he used to enjoy eating it. She said, My beloved, Ya Bunaya, my beloved son. These are all three very beloved people, right? They are all related to the Prophet. ﷺ. So she says, My beloved son, please don't ask for that today. Right? Let me make you something else. Let me make you something else. Your guests in my home, it's a pleasure to have you, the family of the Prophet. ﷺ. Let me let me make you something else. They say, No, no, no. Make for us what the Prophet ﷺ used to like. She said, okay. So 
They said, no, isna'ihi, make that for us. So she stood up and she took a little bit of barley and she grinded it out. Then she put it in a pot. She poured some olive oil over it. And then she took some spices um, and grinded them up and sprinkled them on top. And she kind of stirred it up and she put it in front of them. She said, eat this. And she says, this is what the Prophet ﷺ used to enjoy, what he used to like and what he used to enjoy eating. Meaning the simplicity of the food. The simplicity of it. This is what the Prophet ﷺ used to eat. Right? The next narration, hadith number 29 from this chapter. قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا مَحْمُودُ بْنُ غَيْلَانَ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا أَبُوْ أَحْمَدَ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا سُفْيَانَ عَنِ الْأَسْوَدِ بْنِ قَيْسَ عَنْ نُبَيْحِنِ الْعَنَزِ عَنْ جَابِرِ بْنِ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ قَالَ أَتَانَا نَبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمَ فِي مَنْزِلِنَا فَذَبَحْنَا لَهُ شَاتًا فَقَالَ كَأَنَّهُمْ عَلِمُوا أَنَّا نُحِبُّ اللَّحْمَ وَفِي الْحَدِيثِ قِصَّةٌ جَابِرِ بْنِ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى عَنْهُ says that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu and we had sacrificed a sheep for the Prophet ﷺ. And he said, it is as if they knew that we enjoy eating meat. And there's a longer story in this particular narration. This is of course, a the long story is the one that we talked about from the Battle of Khandaq. The Battle of the Trench. Where Jabir anhu invites the Prophet ﷺ and tells him to bring a couple of people because they've cooked the sheep. It was a smaller animal, and so we have a limited amount of food. And the Prophet ﷺ, he uh, makes an announcement. The Prophet ﷺ, uh, makes an announcement where he says that Jafar, uh, Jabir, excuse me, Jabir radiallahu ta'ala anhu is invite, inviting everyone to his Ya Ahl al-Khandaq, inna Jabir sab sana'a suran fahayyaha la bikum. Right, that Jabir, Jabir has made food for you, so he's inviting all of you. Halummu musri'een. Everybody go quickly. So he says that, but then he told me, he said that, don't take the pot off of the stove until I get there. Don't open anything until I get there. The Prophet ﷺ, when some narrations say he placed some of his saliva in it, he made dua uh, for the food, and then the Prophet ﷺ served the first bit, and he said, start feeding the people. And everyone, uh, the narration, in this particular narration, he says, وَالْقَوْمُ أَلْفٌ وَالْقَوْمُ أَلْفٌ About a thousand people came. And he says, فَأُقْسِمُ بِاللَّهِ I swear by Allah, Jabir says, لَقَدْ أَكَلُوا حَتَّى تَرَكُوهُ وَانْصَرَفُوا He says that they ate, and after they left, that there was still, the pot was still completely full of food. Right, so this is narrated in Bukhari and Muslim, so that's the longer story. There's also another very, um, the story actually continues on, it's very interesting. <laughs> That when he had invited them for the food, um, and when the Prophet ﷺ was going to be coming, before he knew the situation was going to happen, 
Jabir radiallahu ta'ala said that the Prophet was dealing with a lot of difficulty at that time. It was a battle of the trench. They had been out there in the cold, starving, hungry. The Prophet had been very worried. There was 10,000 soldiers on the other side wanting to not just kill the Muslims but burn Medina to the ground. He was under a lot of stress. He was dealing with a lot. So Jabir radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he says that I said to my wife, لا تكلمي رسول الله صلى الله عليه that when the Prophet ﷺ comes, don't talk to him and don't ask him any questions. Alright? Let him come. Let him eat in peace. Please don't ask him any questions. So he says the Prophet ﷺ came, you know, and he ate. And when he was about to leave, um, the Prophet ﷺ, you know, he thanked and he praised them for the food and he thanked them. And when he was leaving, um, Jabir anhu says that my wife came out and she said, Salli alayya wa ala zawji. That she basically came out and said, Udu'u lana. O Messenger of Allah, make dua for us. And the Prophet said, Allahumma salli alayhim. O Allah, send your peace and mercy upon them. And he says that I turned to my wife and I said to her, Alaysa qad nahaytuki? Woman did not tell you? <laughs> right? Woman did not tell you? And qalat, she said, Tara Rasulullah kana yadkhul alina wa la yadu'u lana? She goes, you need to be quiet. You're the fool here. The messenger of God comes in our home and eats in our home and you're going to let him leave without making dua for us? Right? You're the one who doesn't understand what he's doing. You need to stop telling me what to do. Alright? And so, it's a very interesting interaction. The next narration, قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا إِبْنُ أَبِي قال حدثنا سفيان قال حدثنا عبد الله ابن محمد بن عقيل أنه سمع جابرا قال سفيان وحدثنا ابن المنكدر عن جابر رضي الله تعالى عنه قال خرج رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم وأنا معه فدخل على امرأة من الأنصار فذبحت له شاة فأكل منها وأتته بقناع من رطب فأكل منه ثم توضأ للظهر وصلى ثم انصرف فأتته بعلالة من علالة الشاة فأكل ثم صلى العصر ولم يتوضأ In this particular narration um, Jabir رضي الله تعالى عنه he says that I, w- I went out with the Messenger of Allah, or the Prophet went out and I was with him. And he went to go visit one of the homes of the Ansar, one of the women of the Ansar. She had sacrificed uh, a sheep or a goat and she had prepared it for the Prophet So he ate some from it and then she came and she presented some dates, almost like a dessert. Um, and the Prophet made some of that as well and he, then he made wudu and he prayed dhuhr. Um, and then the Prophet ﷺ came back and she brought some of the leftovers. Ulala in the Arabic language means like leftovers. So she brought some of the leftovers that here's some food that was left from the meat. And the Prophet ﷺ ate it and he went straight to go for Asr time and he prayed Asr without making wudu. Again to demonstrate the fact that the wudu was not necessary but it's more just cleanliness which is important. Right, that you're not picking your teeth in your salah, and you're not like, you know, your hands and face is not dirty, obviously. Um, and the other thing it also shows is that the Prophet ﷺ, again, the simplicity. He would eat leftover food, he would eat anything that was available, he would say, Bismillah, Alhamdulillah, and he would eat the food. The next narration, 
Hadith number 31 of this chapter. قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا الْعَبَّاسُ بْنُ مُحَمَّدَ الدُّورِي قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا يُنُسُ بْنُ مُحَمَّدَ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا فُلَيْحُ بْنُ سُلَيْمَانَ عَنُ عُثْمَانِ بْنِ عَبْدِ الرَّحْمَانَ عَنِ عَقُوبِ بْنِ أَبِي عَقُوبِ عَنْ أُمِّ الْمُنْذِرِ قَالَتْ دَخَلَ عَلَيَّ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَمَعَهُ عَلِيٌّ وَلَنَا دَوَالِ مُعَلَّقَةٌ قالت فجلس علي والنبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يأكل قالت فجعلت لهم سلقا وشعيرا فقال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم لعلي من هذا فأصب فإن هذا أوفق لك In this particular narration أم المنذر رضي الله تعالى عنها She says that the Prophet of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم This was one of the aunts of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم so she says that the Prophet ﷺ came to visit me. And he had Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu with him. And we had Walana Dawali Mu'allaqa, which basically means that we had some bunches of dates that were hung. So sometimes they would just tear like the whole branch that had the, the bunch of dates, and they would just kind of hang it inside the house. Because again, if you place it down, then it would kind of start to go bad. So they would hang it so that they would stay proper. Um, and maybe you don't have that experience with dates, but with bananas, that's kind of the same experience. So in that sense, we would hang the dates to keep them fresh longer. So she said, we had these dates that were hung in the house, and the Prophet of Allah started to take dates from there and eat them. Ali radiallahu ta'ala also started to take some of the dates and eat. So the Prophet said to Ali, Mah, stop, what are you doing? Um, he said, stop, oh Ali, because you are recovering. Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu must have been sick for some time. And so the Prophet is telling him that take it easy, don't eat something like this. This is something that's just maybe he had an upset stomach because of his illness as well. So he's saying that this is not something you should eat. It's not going to sit well with you. So she says Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu sat down. So this, by saying that Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu sat, sat down, that means the Prophet was standing up, grabbing the dates off the bunch and he was eating them. So it demonstrates that while the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ was to sit and eat with dignity properly, but the Prophet ﷺ at times was seen standing up and eating. Right? He did that to show that it is permissible. It's not haram, it's permissible. If the need presents itself. And the Prophet ﷺ continued to eat. So she says that I went and I made some silqan wa sha'iran. Silqan um, in the Arabic language basically refers to um, some vegetables or something green, almost like a salad. Um, so she says that I went and I basically made a salad. Um, and I brought it and the Prophet ﷺ told Ali radiallahu ta'ala that eat this because this will sit better with you. Alright, so again we see that the Prophet of Allah ﷺ was particular about what he ate and he understood that sometimes certain types of food and again this, uh, this is to demonstrate again that we don't necessarily have to create this dynamic. If something, someone is allergic to something, right, a lot of times this happens in certain situations, someone's allergic to something, somebody just physically cannot stomach something, cannot eat something and at that time we're trying to force feed them, families will force feed them the food, no, no, eat this, this is from the blessing of Allah. Say Bismillah and eat it, and then say Alhamdulillah, right? And poor guys throwing up and vomiting all over the place, and we're like, that's the blessing of Allah, right? So it's unnecessary. The Prophet recognized the fact. In fact, Ali had an upset stomach and he's eating the dates, and the Prophet is saying, don't, no, 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 don't eat this. Until something is brought that would sit well with him, and he says, eat this. 
So they, we have to just be intelligent and understanding about these things. The next narration, قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا مَحْمُودُ بْنُ غَيْلَانِ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا بِشُرْ بْنُ سَرِي عَنْ سُفْيَانَ عَنْ طَلْحَةِ بْنِ يَحْيَى عَنْ عَائِشَةِ بْنِ طَلْحَى عَنْ عَائِشَةِ بِنْتِ طَلْحَى عَنْ عَائِشَةِ أُمُّ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ رضي الله تعالى عنها قالت كان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يأتيني فيقول أعندك غداء فأقول لا فيقول إني صائم قالت فأتاني يوما فقلت يا رسول الله إنه أهديت لنا هدية قال وما هي قلت حيس قال أما إني أصبحت صائما قالت ثم أكلا Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, the mother of the believers, she says that the Messenger of Allah would oftentimes come home in the afternoon and he would say, do you have anything to eat for lunch? And I would say, no, I don't have anything. And the Prophet would then remark, he would say that, well, I'm fasting then. Inni sa'im, I'm going to go ahead and fast. And so one day he came to me and, he, and I said, oh, Messenger of Allah, somebody brought some food for us as a gift, like somebody gave us some food. And he said, what is it? And she said, hais. Hais basically was when they would specifically like cook dates and things like that into milk. Right? So she said, somebody brought that. And like we read, the Prophet used to like sweet things. And so the Prophet ﷺ, you know, it sounded very enticing. So the Prophet ﷺ said, in the morning I thought about fasting. And then she says, but then he ate the food. Right? <laughs> Might as well eat it. Alright? And so... Obviously it shows that the Prophet of Allah would make the best of his situation. If there was food, he would say, Bismillah, eat it, alhamdulillah. If there was no food, then Allahumma inni sa'im. Oh Allah, I'm fasting. He made the best of his situation. Either way, it's all good. Right? And that was the attitude of the Prophet What do I have to complain about? Living, breathing, family, love, deen, Islam. Like what, what, what do I have to complain about? I have nothing to complain about. Right? So that was the attitude of the Prophet and that's what he taught us as well. There is a little bit of uh, a mas'ala that comes from this. It's a very complex issue of usul. I'm not going to get into a lot of detail, but this, is, this particular narration is quoted by Imam Shafi'i rahimahullahu ta'ala for his position that when you engage in a voluntary act of worship, when you begin into a voluntary act of worship, then it does not become mandatory and you can basically um, opt out of it at any time. So if you started fasting, and it's not a fast of Ramadan, or a makeup fast, or something like that, but it's a voluntary fast, it's a Monday or a Thursday. Then if you want to opt out of it in the afternoon or in the evening, whenever you are allowed to do so, and you won't have to make up that fast. Abu Hanifa rahimullah ta'ala says, when you start something, you have to finish it. And his explanation for this is, that when the Prophet says that in the morning, that's why I translated that way, that he says, I was fasting in the morning, more so the Prophet is saying that I was thinking in the morning that I will end up fasting today. So it's just perspective and it's how you look at it. I'll take the question afterwards. Hadith number 33 of this chapter. قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا عَبْدُ اللَّهِ بْنُ عَبْدِ الرَّحْمَنِ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا عُمْرُ بْنُ حَفْسِ بْنِ غَيَاثِ قَالَ حَدَّثَنِي قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا أَبِي عن محمد بن أبي يحيى الأسلمي عن يزيد بن أبي أمية الأعور عن يوسف بن عبد الله بن سلام قال رأيت النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم أخذ كسرة من خبز شعيري فوضع عليها تمرة وقال هذه إدام هذه وأكل يوسف بن عبد الله بن سلام رضي الله تعالى عنه he says that I saw the Prophet of Allah take a piece of 
uh, bread made out of barley and he put a date on top of it and he said, this goes with this. And then he ate it. A date sandwich, right? Very simple again. Whatever you have in front of you, you just say Bismillah and you eat. And then the last hadith of this particular chapter, قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا عَبْدُ اللَّهِ بْنُ عَبْدِ الرَّحْمَانِ قَالَ أَنْبَأَنَا سَعِيدُ بْنُ سُلَيْمَانِ عَنْ عَبَّادِ بْنِ الْعَوَّامِ عَنْ حُمَيْدٍ عَنْ أَنَسْ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ تَعَلَى عَنْهُ أَنَّ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ كَانَ يُعْجِبُهُ الثُّفْلُ قَالَ عَبْدُ اللَّهِ يَعْنِي مَا بَقِيَ مِنَ الطَّعَامِ This particular narration from Anas ibn Malik and so the narrator of the hadith, the teacher of Imam Tirmidhi, Abdullah ibn Abdul Rahman, he comments, he explains, he explains it to Imam Tirmidhi, what is a thuflu? It means what is left over. What is left over? A little bit of like bits and pieces of food that's left over. Normally, if we sit and eat and there's a couple of ends of the bread, right, or something like that, that we just toss away, the Prophet would save that and he used to enjoy eating that. Simplicity, not wasting food. Again, the Prophet ﷺ, you know, again, this, this, it seems like we're guilting ourselves or people, but it's not. It's a legitimate thought process. That when I'm throwing this away, when I'm throwing half a banana away, when I'm throwing the ends of my bread away, I don't like it. When I'm throwing it away, thinking that there's people in the world that are dying because they don't have this. This would be enough food to keep some children alive for maybe another day or another couple of days. Subhanallah. Something to really think about. Right? And so, these are some of the lessons that we learned from how the Prophet ﷺ used to eat and what he used to eat. Very, very powerful. Very profound. That God consciousness. Our deen. I commented on this before. I'll, I'll reiterate here. There's this idea that deen should tell me when to pray and how to pray. And then leave me alone. Islam, tell me when to pray and how to pray. And then get out of my way. Islam. Right? Fajr, Dhuhr, Asr, Maghrib, Isha. Right? Two, four, four, three, four. Khalas. Now go. How I eat, what I eat, how I conduct myself, how I talk, how I walk, how I do business, how I interact with my family. No, 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 no. Don't tell me what to do. Islam has no interference with this. My religion should not tell me what. There's this idea. But that's not the deen the Prophet ﷺ taught us. Islam is something that it needs to influence every aspect of our lives. God consciousness, taqwa. Thinking about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, even when I eat food. What am I eating? How much am I eating? How am I eating this? What am I going to do with this food afterwards? Did I waste it? Did I not, did I not waste All of this, this is a concern. This is taqwa, this is God consciousness. Right? Raising the bar, raising the standard of how we live. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is some, we, we think about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that Allah is part of the equation. When it comes to anything and everything. That's a different way to live. That's automatically a, a way of life that is akhirah driven. That is akhirah centric. Where the hereafter is the primary focus. Where we will sacrifice this dunya for the life of the hereafter. Not the other way around. 
which is unfortunately where many of us find ourselves stuck today. That we keep on chipping away at our akhirah to just get more here and now. How do we reverse that process? Think of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in everything that you do. That's how you start reversing that process. Where you'll give up this dunya for the sake of the hereafter. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide us all. Now, <clears throat> particularly about our study of this uh, collection, the Shama'il, Shama'il Muhammadiyah, the prophetic personality, I wanted to um, explain to the students just some of the, you know, kind of the thought process here. Obviously, <clears throat> we didn't finish the text in the book, and what you have in front of you is not even the entire text. It's what I had aspired uh, to try to cover. Um, but we are about halfway through with the text. And the idea here is to basically be able to complete these courses of study. Right? Complete these courses of study. There's always been this disparity. I talked about it with y'all earlier today. There's always been this disparity. Either go, like I said before, wander about in the wilderness, sit under a tree, spend a decade of your life, and then you get to study this stuff. Or... Otherwise, just a little bit here and there. Same old conversations, same old discussions, that's it. But how do we increase? Like Iqra, we talked about, right? How did the Prophet change the world? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Iqra, teach people. Read, educate, inspire, motivate. Right, so this is our attempt at doing so. Facilitating this growth, this development for folks. Who can't you know, leave reality for years and years of their lives. Then how can they also then still study this and learn this and implement this and carry this to others? So this is our attempt, our very humble attempt at making that happen and facilitating that. All right? And that's why we require you to come here. At the same time, we're not watering it away. We're not washing it down. You know, we're not ruining the process. We ask you to come here. And we all sit together in the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Immerse ourselves in an environment. And then we read and we study and we learn and we discuss and we talk. Right? That's the process. So it, it sometimes might take a little bit longer than we hoped and expected. But the goal and the objective going into it was that over the course of two of these intensives, inshallah, uh, this year and next year, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows us and permits us to, that we would end up completing this text. Right? And so, you know, in this... Uh, based off of that, alhamdulillah, this is still even something remarkable and huge. Right? I'm looking in another version of the text. You studied 184 ahadith with the chain of narration and its full contest and its full explanation. Huge. I mean, ask yourself if you had read 184 ahadith in your life up till this point. Right? Not, not to belittle anyone. I ask myself that. Right? That's in two weeks' time. To sit here, and in such a short amount of time, to go through nearly 200 ahadith, gems and pearls from the life of the most blessed human being that ever lived. What a huge blessing of Allah, what a gift from Allah, right? And so inshallah, what I wanted to just tell the students is that the intention is to complete the text. And as I mentioned to you earlier, um, the way that we're going to help you to be able to complete the text as well is you obviously see it gets recorded. So inshallah, hopefully to be able to make the recordings available to you. And even all, at the same time, um, students who, mashallah, you know, make that sacrifice and that investment to come and learn. We like to continue to 
um, maintain that connection and keep a link with them and continue to uh, help them grow as well. And so inshallah, uh, what we do every single year for the intensives then is the previous year's students who've come in years past, uh, we try to live stream uh, the class and then provide that link uh, to the students who've even come in years past. So that inshallah, hopefully next year, wherever you may be, you still have access to this and you're able to tune in and continue the study of the Shama'il at the very least, inshallah. Alright? However, even this was so profound, right? We learned so much, so many lessons from how the Prophet ﷺ, what he used to eat and what his perspective was even in regards to something like food. But of course, again, just, you know, appreciating uh, your time and your dedication and your devotion and sacrifice. I wanted to end on a particular note, at least our study here in the evenings. Uh, we do have tomorrow morning. Um, but at least our sessions here in the evenings, I wanted to end on a particular note. There is a remarkable narration describing the Prophet ﷺ that is found in some other of the books of Hadith, like Tabarani and some other texts. Some books of the Seerah mention it. It's not mentioned in the Shama'il particularly. It is authenticated uh, by the scholars of Hadith, Imam Dhahabi, Ibn Hajar, many scholars, Al-Hakim, uh, many different scholars, they authenticate it, it's an authentic narration. It actually, and I didn't talk about it when we came across it uh, in the timeline, because I wanted to kind of end on this particular note here in the evening sessions. This is famously known as a Hadith of Ummu Ma'bad. This is famously known as a Hadith, Hadithun Mashur, the Hadith of Ummu Ma'bad. When the Prophet ﷺ with Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu and one of uh, Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu's uh, freed slaves, Amir bin Fuhayra, um, accompanied them for some time as well. And they had a fourth person with them who Amir bin Fuhayra would leave later. But the third person more so traveling with them was the guide that they had hired, Abdullah bin Uraiqit. So as they were traveling at this time, they were four. They came across, they had just left uh, the cave where they had been hiding out, the, the cave of Thor. And they were in need of some type of food and sustenance, right? They had been hiding out in the cave for three days and three nights. They came across kind of like an open area where there were some Bedouin people that lived. And they came across a khayma, a tent, simple folk. They came across a tent, and there was an older, kind of like a very rough-looking woman, like a, you know, an older Bedouin desert woman, right, um, who was sitting outside her tent. She was a little bit older. Um, she kind of had, you know, the, the, the rough hands, somebody who works with her hands, living life in the desert, handling all that difficulty and hardship. She had that look about him, about her. And her name was Ummu Ma'bad al-Khuza'iyah. She narrates this hadith. So she says that, وكانت, um, so first initially, Abdullah bin Uraiqit, um, or, or they're, they're narrating this, that the, وَكَانَتِ امْرَأَةٌ بَارِزَةً بَرْزَةً جَلْدَةً تَحْتَ بِفَنَاءِ الْخَيْمَةِ Rough older woman sitting outside the tent. ثُمَّ تَسْقِي وَتُطْعِمُ فَسَأَلُوهَا لَحْمًا وَتَمْرًا لِيَشْتَرُوا مِنْهَا Right, so they asked her if they could buy some type of, maybe they could buy some meat or some dates from her, some food from her, they could purchase it. 
not taking it from her, not asking even for hospitality. We'd like to buy something from you. فَلَمْ يُصِيبُوا عِنْدَهَا شَيْءً مِنْ ذَلِكَ She didn't have anything. وَكَانَ الْقَوْمُ مُرْمِلِينَ They were very poor, simple people. مُسْنِتِينَ They had been suffering through a drought. فَنَظَرَ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ The Prophet saw that there was a sheep that was on the side of the tent. فَقَالَ مَا هَذِي شَاتِ يَا أُمَّ مَعْبَدْ What about this sheep, O Ummu Ma'bad? So she said, شَاتٌ خَلَّفَهَا الْجَهْدُ عَنِ الْغَنَمُ That the drought came and went, and this was one of the only, this was one of the few animals that we have remaining after all that, you know, uh, drought. هَلْ بِهَا مِنْ لَبَنٍ He asked, does it give any milk? And she says, هِيَا أَجْهَدُ مِنْ ذَلِكَ No, no, it's long gone. Milk is a, is history. We'll be lucky if this animal even survives. So the Prophet ﷺ said, Do you give me permission to be able to milk the animal? She said, She says that, okay, I mean, if you can find milk, then go ahead and make, you know, more than welcome. فَدَعَ بِهَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهِ سَلَمَ فَمَسَحَ بِيَدِهِ ضَرَعَهَا وَسَمَّ اللَّهَ تَعَالَى وَدَعَالَهَا فِي شَاتِهَا The Prophet said, okay, bring me the sheep. He sat down, said, Bismillah, touched his hand to the udders of the animal, and then made dua. And فَتَفَاجَتْ عَلَيْهِ وَدَرَّتْ فَجْتَرَّتْ فَدَعَ بِنَائٍ بِ فَدَعَ بِنَائٍ يُرْبِضُ الرَّهْتَ so all of a sudden she says that the udders of the animal started to swell up and milk started to come from it. So the Prophet ﷺ asked for a big bowl, like there were some dishes or bowls or pots that were sitting there. He asked for one of the larger ones. He said, bring that one to me. And it's described as يُرْبِذُ rahat, Like you could feed a whole army. You could feed a whole group, a caravan. فَحَلَبَ فِيهِ ثَجَّنْ the Prophet ﷺ milked the sheep into that bowl. It was clean, it was clear, and it would, till the bowl was full. It was overflowing. Then he went and he gave it to Ummu Ma'bad. He said, please have some. Served her first. And she drank until she was completely done. Then he made all the other three that were traveling with him drink before him again. You see the Prophet ﷺ. Until they were full. Then the Prophet ﷺ drank finally at the end until everybody was full and everybody was good. Then the Prophet ﷺ milked again until the bowl was again completely full. Then the Prophet ﷺ gave her the bowl completely full of milk, the pot full of milk, and then the Prophet ﷺ said, thank you very much, and they traveled on from there. After a little while, her husband Abu Ma'bad came. That he came after trying to go and graze some of their sheep and their flock, but the animals seemed like they were like emaciated. They seemed like they were, you know, uh, very weak, very frail. قَلِيلٌ That it's like they had nothing in them. They seemed hollow. Just bones, skin on bones. So, فَلَمَّا رَآ أَبُو مَعْبَدَ أَعْجَبَهُ He says, bowl, this pot full of milk, and he's like, where did this come from? 
Where'd you get this from? You see the situation of our goats and sheep. They can't provide anything. There's nothing to give milk in this entire home. Where did this come from? She said, La wallahi, innahu rajulun mubarakun. She says, No, let me tell you this. She said, A very blessed man came by here. Min halihi kada wa kada. So she said that he was really amazing. You, you can't even imagine how amazing he was. And so she said, he says to her, he says, li, ya ma'bad. Tell me more about him, Ya Umma Ma'bad. So now she starts describing the Prophet She says, I saw a man who was radiant, he was beautiful. His face was inviting. He was really, he was a pleasure to look at, right? He was handsome. That she says that he was not so tall that he was intimidating, nor was he so short that somebody would look down on him. Wasimun, qasimun, that he was uh, very well proportioned, balanced. In his body. He had dark eyes. His eyelashes were long. She goes on to say, He had this, this uh, conviction in his voice when he spoke. His neck was a little bit longer, like he, he seemed like he was standing up straight. You get good posture. His beard was thick. He had deep, dark eyebrows that were not connected in the middle. When he was quiet, he had this air of dignity about him. He had a reverence about him. And when he spoke, you were blown away by him. You were amazed by him. When you looked at him from far, he was the most beautiful human being you had ever seen. And when you got close to him, he was still the most beautiful human being you had ever seen. He's very sweet in his speech. And he spoke with pauses. He didn't speak so much that you wished he would stop. And he didn't speak so little where he created awkward pauses. That when he spoke, it was like pearls that were falling from a string. Imagine a pearl necklace and the pearls are falling. When he spoke, it was like pearls were falling from his mouth. You wanted to grab each and every single word. That he was very well built. Um, again, she says that he wasn't too tall nor was he too short. He was a branch in between two branches. It's a very interesting expression. What that means is a couple of things. Because he had companions with him. He had people with him. So he fit in with people. He didn't stand out from the people. He, so that means he was humble. He sat with his people. But he was still so remarkable that she noticed him amongst the people. He was noticeable, 
yet not above the people. فَهُوَ أَنْدَرُ ثَلَاثَةِ مَنْظَرًا He was the most like breathtaking of the three people that he was with. وَأَحْسَنُهُمْ قَدْرًا He was the most beautiful in his conduct and character. لَهُ رُفَقَاءُ يُحْفَوْنَ بِهِ He had friends who loved him dearly, care about him. You can tell they care about him. Who circle around him. إِنْ قَالَ سَمِعُوا لِقَوْلِهِ When he speaks, they hang on to every word. وَإِنْ أَمْرَ تَبَادَرُوا إِلَىٰ أَمْرِهِ When he asked them to do something, they rushed to do it. مَحْفُودٌ مَحْشُودٌ That he is cared for. And he is surrounded by people who care about him and love him. لَا عَابِسٌ وَلَا مُفَنَّدٌ He is not angry. Like he's not mean and abrasive. And because of that, he's not by himself. He's not like a lone wolf. He's not alone by himself. So this is how Ummu Ma'bad describes the Prophet of Allah Abu Ma'bad basically tells her, he says to her, he says, why didn't you hold on to him for a little bit longer so I could have actually seen him and met him? She said, he's gone, he had to go. Um... So this is the hadith of Umm Ma'bad. So I thought that this would be something for us to just kind of again recapture that image of the Prophet ﷺ and his honor and his dignity and his um, beauty and his simplicity and his humility, his sophistication, right? That the Prophet ﷺ had and he embodied. And again, we study this, we read this, we learn this to try to embody the Prophet ﷺ in everything that we do. And inshallah, we'll be talking more about this tomorrow morning when we are concluding our study of the seerah inshallah jazakumullah khairan subhanallahi wa bihamdihi subhanak allahumma bihamdik nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilaik